We are grateful for having you in our lives and can come to mm. you boldly. And you yes. you, for you are so kind yes. and loving to us. Father, forgive yes. us for our sin of omission and commission. Father, I'm covering mm-hmm. myself, the listener, our family member, with the blood of Jesus, that we will not get any backlashes from this prayer in Jesus' name. And, Father, those names that were mentioned to you, concerning those that are sick, you know who they are, God. You said in your word, by your stripe, we are healed. And we believe you, Lord, for your word, because you also said, command ye me of the things that you need to be done. God, we know that you know, but you just want us to come to you boldly as you requested. So we thank you, Lord, for healing everyone, some that cannot save what they are sickness are, but God, you know God. So I'm asking you, God, not just to heal those names that were mentioned, but everyone on this line, God, heal our body, God, in the name of Jesus and Satan, I bind and I come against you. The blood of Jesus is against you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. Now, Father, we thank you for preparing our hearts and mine to receive your rhema word on this morning. Bless your servant for giving us the word of God that we need right now. In Jesus' name we pray. And God continue to give the overseer and his family and this ministry and the listener and myself favor with everyone we need favor with God. You know who we need favor with. So, God, we just thank you in advance for giving us favor with whoever we need favor with. And, Father, also our children. And, God, we thank you for healing Tiger from that condition. And, God, when he go back on his job, God, give him the favor of God in the name of Jesus. More favor from you, God. Yes, God, I heard you said more favor. More favor from you. And God, we just praise you and we just giving you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. The conference has been muted. Hallelujah. Good morning, saints. It is so beautiful to have all of us on a Sunday morning like this and just listen to what God is doing in each of our lives. Last week, I had a chance to uh, meet with my pastor. And one of the things that he asked me is like, what do you call this on a Sunday morning that you're working on like, you know, these messages at the 8.30 in the morning, what do you call them? You know, is that a church? Uh, And uh, uh, is it a Bible study? What is it, right? And I I, I told him, uh, this is a group of people coming together who love the Lord, who pray, 
for each other and uh, meditate on the word. This is a place where we, we just uh, don't have uh, any, you know, boundaries when it comes to God. And that, uh, you know, there were times that people would go to church, not the building, but the church, right? They would go to church because they have, their heart is really uh, heavy. There, there's somebody in their home that is sick or, or, or they need to, to spend some time with God. They, they, do, they do go in the, in the past to the church. That's their first place of rescue, right? And so I believe this line is that place of rescue. We will come together. We will pray. We will go before the Lord. We will ask the Lord to bless every soul. And that the word, we will have no problem preaching exactly what it says. And I'm not saying that not many of the pastors are not doing. I'm just saying that's what we are. Uh, so I am so glad. Today I want to go, actually this is the same message from last week. Uh, you know, the, the unfortunate fact is that we couldn't finish this message last week. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to go back to the Exodus chapter 25. And I'm going to read from verses 8 through 16. So if you have your Bible, it should be in the front, Exodus chapter 25, verses 8 through 16. It says, Let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. The verse 10 says, And they shall make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out. You shall overlay it and shall make on it a molding of gold around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side, two rings on the other side. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the holes, the, put the poles into the rings on the side of the ark that the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark of the testimony, which I will give you. Praise the Lord. This is an amazing verse. As, as uh, um, we meditated on this um, last week, 
I just wanted to do a very quick recap, uh, and then we will go into further today. The reason why the Ark of the Covenant is so important for us today is that throughout the history of Israel, when we read in the Old Testament, the condition of the nation is directly connected to the condition of the temple. When the temple was doing good, the nation was doing good. When the temple were neglected and are in ruin, the nation was cursed, overpowered by their enemy, or they were even exiled from their land. Last week we saw about the two kings as an example, the king Joash, when he became the king of, uh, you know, the nation, the first order of business that he did was to build a temple. We see that in Second Chronicles chapter 24, right? And how this king did a good job in doing the renovation, in doing the rebuilding, in refurbishing the temple, I did not even re- realize how much he has contributed to the the Ark of the Covenant. He's well remembered as someone who actually did really well for the temple. Uh, And the thing is that somewhere in this thought process, he actually became rogue and that he moved on from here to become the, the, the things that he did were so against the Word of God that he was giving room for idols. He was compromising on his belief system. And then God says, why do you disobey the Lord's command and keep yourself from prospering? You have abandoned the Lord and now he has abandoned you. There was a, a spirit of Lord descended on one of the prophets, the son of the priest, and he was saying, my goodness, Because of your disobedience, God has moved on. The thing is this. God of this universe has a plan and purpose for you and me. And when we start things like a a nonprofit for the Lord, or when we start a church, when we do all these things, in the beginning, we spend so much time in prayer. And then... As these things start to flourish, right? As when I say flourish and prosperous, I'm directly referring to money. When the money comes in as as a result of them getting on their knees, then they turn around and they think it was their hands that produced this fruit, right? And God continues to warn. He is the God of patience. It is not like a one day God showed up in the, in, the, in the mouth of this prophet's son to tell King Josiah, you did wrong. In fact, the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, who was actually turned into a beast in his own courtyard, not overnight, almost for one year, God was warning this king to move away from being prideful of himself, right? 
So when the God's presence moves on, then what was coming so easy for us becomes so hard to deal with. And that's why God says, you come back to my temple, and the things that sound and look and feel hard, I'm going to make them easy. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine invited me to his house because his wife was pregnant and it was the ninth month they were expecting the baby at any time. And so when I prayed at that point in time, I was saying, God, if it is your will, let this labor go easy. I've heard stories of like the labors going for 16, 18 hours. When, when my wife delivered my first daughter, it was 34 hours. It was in a hard labor for 34. I know what that pain that they go through looking and sitting next to them. I would rather have that pain on myself, but it is, it is very painful to watch them grow, go through that. So somehow when God reminded me of my wife, I just prayed, God, if only you can make this labor go quicker for her in the shortest period of time. Do it for this woman. Right? And so a week later, they, they called me after the baby was born. And they said from the time that the, the peak pain started or the pain started, they rushed to the hospital and the baby was delivered in less than 10 minutes. It's just like it came out. It, it, you know, to some of these people, it may sound coincidental, but in God's kingdom, it's not going coincidental because there was a word pronounced in prayer when, when those that were sitting around that feared the Lord heard, the, the Lord heard their prayer and it just made it come faster. What am I saying? King Josiah lost that. Whatever was coming easy became hard. And we saw another king also. Um, the first one was Joash, and the second one was Josiah. And he was eight years old when he started the journey. And we see that story of this king in Second Chronicles chapter 34. And in that we see how he stayed humble with the Lord. And the Lord says, you know, to him, because he stayed humble and he stayed closer to the word, God was saying to him, surely I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. Isn't that amazing? When we stay closer to the Lord, the Lord stays closer to us. And then we went on to see about like a, the three different renovations that God started. And I, I researched a little bit more. Actually, there were four. There was a tabernacle um, uh, project that Moses did when he started the journey. Then Solomon built a temple with the, you know, all the things that David brought together. Zerubbabel, after they came back from Babylon, after 70 years of their exile, they built it. And then the fourth one is actually the Herod. 
built a temple, renovated it, and that's where Jesus went in and taught and so on. So we saw last week also the whole structure of the temple is that when you walk into the temple, imagine this for a moment when you go into your churches, right? The main gate, that's the, the entrance that you go through. Once you go past the main gate, there is like a big altar called a brazen altar, right? We'll come back to the brazen altar. Then the brazen labor, that's on the outer court. Then they move past the second veil or the, yeah, the second gate. And they had a veil. And we'll talk about the three veils that the, the people crossed all the time. So they crossed the second veil into the temple, the gate through which they go past from the outer court is called the holy place. And in that holy place, they, they had this lamp, um, the, the, the light, uh, the menorah was there. There, there was a, a table where they had like a, the, the, the bread was there where the king eats with his people to symbolize that. And there is like a, a place where they had a, a bowl where uh, all the incense were burning. And uh, what that incense burning reminded me is the, in the book of Revelation, God says, when we offer prayer, those prayers actually land in that golden bowl where the, the, the coal is burning. And the Lord smells our prayer. Every time we offer a prayer, he smells those prayers. And that's what that, you know, was representing. And then you go past this next veil or the third veil, and this place is called the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat existed. But when we read them in the book of Exodus, God actually comes from inside out. He comes from the Holy of Holies, then he talks about the holy place, and then he talks about the outer court. Right? The thing is this, the stuff, the things, the furnishings that were there in the Holy of Holies was made out of gold. As we come out from the Holy of Holies to the holy place, those were made out of silver. And then when you go past the next one and come to the outer court, then there's items that were the furnishings that were made out of bronze. So the farther we go away from the presence of God, right, the lesser the value we become. And so here this morning as we go through, we also saw last week how the, the other arcs, there were three other arcs that we looked at, uh, the Noah's Ark. We then looked at uh, uh, the Ark of Moses where he was transported in that uh, um, water where the, the queen uh, uh, of Egypt, the Pharaoh's daughter, picked uh, the baby up. And then we saw uh, about Joseph's coffin, which is also referred to as the, as the, uh, as the Ark. And so in the Bible, we saw like 185 references from smaller thing to a larger thing where God is talking about these arcs. And then uh, one of the things uh, 
that, uh, uh, you know, we saw uh, before we went into the actual uh, message is this. Uh, when you go back uh, and uh, reread the verse that we did today, it says the box needs to be made. The covenant is, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the co- the, that is nothing but, the Ark is nothing but a chest or a big box, right? The two cubits and a half is actually 45 inches long, which is about four feet, right? And then cubit and a half is the height, and the cubit and a half is actually its breadth. Uh, that's about 27 inches or two feet. So it's like a four by two, right? And it's, so it's like a good size box. It's not like a small, tiny box like we constantly see. It requires the four people to carry by, by the poles, right? We saw the content inside the, the Ark of the Covenant. We saw Aaron's staff. And uh, it shows like uh, how he is the God of impossible overnight. Uh, when, when Aaron's rod was kept in the presence of uh, God, along with the other 11 tribes, overnight we saw how that dead word flourished and then bloomed and then the flowers came and the fruit, all three stages of the almond tree was shown in the dead word. If God wants to do something in your life and in my life, he doesn't have a boundaries on how much he can get into your life and my life. He has a power to change this universe. The heaven and earth adores him. He's a God of the impossible. Then we moved on to see how for 40 years God poured his grace upon his people, whether they were complaining, grumbling. Nothing stopped God to provide them a food every single day. And he wanted people to remember that, that whole journey. And so he told normal, on a normal circumstance, if you take the, the, the manna that God was pouring from heaven, and if you keep it for the second day, it will get spoiled. It won't last for a second day. Every day, he wanted them to come out and take what God is offering. But then, here, in a bowl, where a golden bowl, where this... Heavenly food was kept, and God let it survive. He, again, what this shows us is like a, it is under his control. Just like the word says, men are made great. In the, in the second Chronicles, it says men are made great and given strength, Right? It is not because of their own personal strength, because of his strength get exposed in your life and my life. Today, the third part, so first we saw Aaron's rod, which is inside the ark. The second one we saw was a bowl of manna. And then the 
third one is the Ten Commandments uh, that was kept inside that box. He is a God of order, right? And that uh, I was just uh, listening to uh, as I was researching through some of the people that are saying and how they are making a war against the Ten Commandments. Uh, one of the guy that was just like a making a statement was uh, Ted Turner. He was saying, we are living with an outdated rules. The rules we are living under are Ten Commandments, and I bet nobody here even pays much attention to them because they are too old. When Moses went up on the mountain, these were the exact words, quotes, he says, when Moses went up on the mountain, there were no nuclear weapons, there was no poverty. Today, the Ten Commandments wouldn't go over. Nobody around likes to be commanded. Commandments are out, right? Neither Ted Turner nor any of those people that wage war against it, the Ten Commandments, are right. If God has decided to wipe out this earth because of our disobedience, he could do it in no time. But then he's allowing us to get to the absolute moral. There is a right thing to do, and there is a wrong thing to do. Some of the things that we see today are not right before God, but then we have caused a moral relativism. We, 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 we are starting to say, hmm, Nothing is right or wrong. There are differences of opinion. Some people say something like this. How many times we also see what's right for you may not be right for me. Right? And all of this is, is just the result of how we are feeling about this absolute truth. In fact, you know, I was listening to Dr. King's message on I Have a Dream, when he spoke in front of that Washington Monument in 1963, this message, I Have a Dream, it wasn't a written message. It was coming out of his heart. And he was saying about certain things that are so relevant even for today. Dr. King's vision was to see each of the person be judged by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. That's the moral absolutes that Dr. King was talking about when he spoke from that pulpit. And the results that he was looking for was based on what he believed very strongly on the Ten Commandments. And, and the things that he said can be directly correlated to the Word of God that is being exposed to us. I really like what Pope Francis, the, 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 the current Pope of the Catholic Church, said about this area. 
very recently he, he, he was talking about the Ten Commandments as well. He said the Ten Commandments given by God are meant to protect his children from self-destruction. They are not harsh rules meant to enslave and oppress. And I see that even when God gave these Ten Commandments to the children of Israel, they were still making mistakes. They were still building idols. In fact, the first time when Moses went to the mountain and got the Ten Commandments and came down, the people were actually busy making golden calves. And he was so upset with them, and he threw the stones down and broke it. But the thing is this, God did not throw us down into the pit of the bottomless pit just because we are making a mistake. He is setting up a standard for us to live. When the children of Israel cried out to him, he was coming to their rescue. These Ten Commandments are still real and applicable even for today's life. This, this Ten Commandments is not just a red tape or a regulations by God. It is meant for our good. In fact, you look at every one of these commandments, and we will come back to the Ten Commandments. But look at the Sixth Commandment. Thou shalt not murder. Why would God want to say that as one of the commandments? Because he is the God of life. He is the protector of life. He, he is the one who cherishes this life and God's. It is his intent to protect God and respect and cherish this life. And he's transferring his qualities, his attributes to his sons and daughters and saying, I cherish this life. I've given it to you. You don't have a right to take it out of somebody else. I'm going to give you the heart of mine into your heart. Let me rub my spirit upon you. Let me give you what the, 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 the boundaries that you should be living on. Look at the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. All God meant to say here is be faithful. Keep your commitment. Keep your promises to your husband and wife. He's a covenant-keeping God. And he's expecting his sons and daughters to be faithful. His image bearers. You and I are his image bearers. And this Ten Commandments is nothing but God's character. He wants to show and give it to his sons and daughters. Right? Today, what I want to do, we looked at those three things that were inside the box. We saw the Aaron's rod, we saw the bowl of manna, and we saw the Ten Commandments. We'll come back and do a study on the Ten Commandments. Today, what I want to do even further, this whole conversation and talk about the significance of these Ten Commandments. Why? What is so special about this, these, uh, so sorry, what is so special about this Ark of the Covenant? Why is this uh, such a big deal 
uh, even today, right? So there are three things I'm going to talk about today. If you are taking notes, the first one, Ark of the Covenant signifies his presence. Look at the way this furniture is placed in the tabernacle. It is placed in the Holy of Holies. And the people who had access to this was not that everybody could go to this Holy of Holies until Jesus died on that rugged cross. We didn't have access to it. But the only ones that could go to the Holy of Holies when the tabernacle was built was the high priest. People cannot just like randomly walk into the presence of God with all the dirt in their hands and the blood in their hands. I was watching this movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark. The one thing that um, uh, Harrison Ford was saying is, this thing that people carried all the time, right? He's right. This is one thing that people carried all the time. It wasn't like carried like an idol, but it was the presence of God wherever they moved in the 40 years. When the tabernacle moved, they moved the Ark of the Covenant, right? For 40 years, they carried them through in that desert. When they go put up a next tent, they would do that. In fact, there are a couple of places I wanted to very quickly touch. Joshua is, is, is a great place for us to go to, uh, to look at this. Um, in the book of Joshua, it says like the people were carrying the ark, the, the, the priests were carrying the ark all over the place, right? Just like what the, uh, Mr. Um, Harrison Ford says in that movie, right? But I want you to go to Joshua chapter 3, verses 6. Joshua chapter 3, verses 6. It says, Joshua said to the priest, here's what is happening. Uh, here's a little bit of background as you're going to Joshua chapter 3. The children of Israel at this point under the leadership of Joshua ready to enter the promised land. The promised land is on the other side of the Jordan River and they have to cross through the Jordan River. And so they have pulled down their tent, they are starting to move and uh, here the Ark of the Covenant is one of the biggest furniture that they would take absolute care as they walk in, right? Walk around. So Joshua 3, verses 6 says, Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass before the people. When the priest came to the Jordan, just as was commanded, the waters were completely, you know, uh, so let, let me uh, back up from there. So when the priest came to the waters, the Jordan River, right, the, the water was still flowing. Nothing stopped. Just because the Ark of the Covenant was coming to the water, the water did not stop. As we fast forward to verse 14, we see when the people broke camp to cross Jordan, the priests 
carrying the Ark of the Covenant, went ahead of them, right? Just as Joshua commanded. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. So this is a harvest time. So the water is flowing, gushing waters, plenty of water is flowing through Jordan River. Yet, this is the verse I really, really love. And I pray that it speaks to you today in a special way. This comes in Joshua chapter 3, verses 15. I'm, I'm encouraging you to read that verse. Now, yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Sometimes when we do this ministry, when we have a church, when we are trying to do something for the Lord, we don't need to have everything in place for us to move forward. When our feet touches the Jordan River in faith, the feet of these priests that were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Holy God that they were carrying around all throughout the desert. Now as they were carrying, and the feet of those priests, it doesn't say anything else. The, the feet of those priests touched the edge of the water. Then the water stopped flowing. My brothers and sisters on this line, I just want you to know God will answer all your prayers. God will heal our marriages. God will heal and restore our relationship. God will heal the ailments and the sickness that is in our bodies. And all he is asking us to do that are carrying the presence of God to go and touch the edge of the Jordan River. In your life and my life, I'm telling you, the Jordan River will stop flowing. The people that are talking against you will stop talking against you. The things that look like a mountain before you just like what it says in the book of Zechariah, that, that, that God will say to the mountain, who are you before my son Zerubbabel? He's talking to the mountain, and the mountain became a plain in front of his son Zerubbabel. He caused the Red Sea to split. He caused the walls of Jericho to come down. He caused the Goliath, the giant, to go down on the ground without any army fighting for it. What am I saying? I do not know what your Jordan is today morning. But my God is saying, when you put your feet on the edge of that Jordan, that Jordan will stop flowing in your life and in my life. And the thing is this, the Bible says in that same chapter, 16th verse, 
the water from upstream stopped flowing, it piled up in a heap a great distance away. There, over two million people have to cross that water, and so it is it is like God just like not only stopped a, a small lane for them to cross, they just like created a, such a distance between the two flows of water that people could walk in the middle. This is the one verse I've never read it properly in the past, where the people were crossing through the heap of water, right? And the Bible says the priest carried Priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood by the dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completely crossing the crossing on the dry, land, dry ground. So they who carried, the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant, they went to the middle of that river while the people were crossing the presence of God was stopping the flow of the water. Isn't that amazing how much of God's safety that we inherit when we are in the midst of his presence? The safetyness that people talked about is so important for your life and my life. And that's what they carried all the time. In fact, when they crossed the Jordan River, they went to the other side. Now we move fast forward from the third chapter of Joshua to the sixth chapter, where Joshua again instructed the people and said the ark, right? should be carried around that city six times in six days and preceded by the seven priests who sounded the seven trumpets, right, made out of ram's horn. On the seventh day, the ark with the armed men and the priests did the same thing and the people shouted with a great shout, and the walls of Jericho fell down flat. They didn't take a hammer. They didn't take any instrument to break this wall down. People may think, what is this wall? Just, you know, you may think like the wall that comes down in your house and my house when they do the, you know, the demolishing of the buildings and so on. We are thinking about the the walls that we have in America where it is made out of cardboard, cardboard or, or, or a light material that just goes around a frame. But no, the walls of Jericho was made out of stone, right? Not only it is made out of stone, there was no hollow inside. It was like a stone's that were just like a making this giant fort that stood so high. In fact, the researchers are, sh are saying 32 chariots can go in parallel on top of the walls of Jericho. When 
the Ark of the Covenant went around six times on the seventh day when they praised the Lord as they carried the Ark. The, ark, the whole wall of Jericho came down crumbling. But also, the Ark of the Covenant, when it, when it was carried around, uh, it, it, it just like shows how much of God's presence traveled with them. So, the first one that I, I wanted to leave with you this morning, it is the presence of God. It is not the ark. Uh, it is not the box. It is not what is in it. It is the presence of God that just went before them, that the ark symbolized as they traveled those 40 years. Wherever they went, they carried this ark, right? The second reason why the Ark of the Covenant is so important for you and me today is that it demonstrates God's holiness. If you go to Second Samuel, Second uh, Samuel, chapter six, right? I'm going to read from verses 1 through 7. So what happened is that there was something happened in this journey, and uh, the Israelites had lost the ark. In fact, that's a big story on its own. Um, there, there was one time the, the children of Israel went um, to a battle uh, against the Philistines because the Philistines were the biggest enemies of Israel. So they went for a battle. In that battle, they lost about like a 4,000 people. So because they lost so many people, uh, there was a bright idea the sons of Eli had, right? So the sons of Eli said, oh, okay, um, you know, now that uh, we have seen like a God walk us through the 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 Red Sea and uh, I'm sorry the Jordan River and the walls of Jericho and everything they thought that they can take the 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 Ark of the Covenant to the battlefield right instead of using the Ark as a as a element of worship they used the Ark as a war weapon right and when they took it it just backfired on them and this time that not only the Israelites were defeated, but they lost about 30,000 men in that battle, right? And so right after that, the Philistines who won the battle, they actually took the Ark of the Covenant and they went to their town. And then immediately right after God, the, the whole thing is like these guys were making mistake after mistake. So when they took the Ark to their environment into Philistine, it was even worse for them and that, uh, you know, they were losing people left, right, and center. Within seven months, they were ready to give back their ark to the children of Israel, right? So when you come back to this verse in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, the ark is still with the Philistines, and uh, they're, they're trying to bring it back to, um, uh, they, they want to bring it back to, uh, Israel, right? And so, chapter 6 of Second Samuel, I'm going to read from verses 1 through 7. 
it says David again brought together all the able young men, 30,000. So David thinks, hmm, I'm going to bring the ark back into uh, Jerusalem. So I'm going to show my power. Let me take 30,000 men, right? He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Almighty, Lord Almighty, who's enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab. Abinadab, right? Which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ohio, the son of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart, and the ark of the God was on it. And Ohio was walking in the front of it. David and all of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with uh, castanets, uh, harps, and lyre, and um, trembles, and uh, all kinds of equipments, right, uh, instruments. When they came to the threshing floor of Nahum, Uzzah reached out and took a hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burnt against Uzzah because of his irrelevant act irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there besides the ark of God. This whole story just bothered me. Why did God kill Uzzah? David wanted to establish worship on Mount Zion by bringing the ark of Jerusalem, right? Ark to Jerusalem. It sounded like a great idea. What went wrong? What was a mistake? Why would God just punish Uzzah by for touching? The ark was going to fall and he was just going to hold, right? Here's the thing. They, in, in, when God talked about in Exodus 25, he gives a very specific instructions on how the ark needs to be transported. They're supposed to carry it on poles. Right, And the thing is that uh, uh, instead of obeying God's instructions, they came up with their own method of carrying. They thought their method for transporting the ark was better than God's. They were, they were listening to their own logic. right? Their logic was to bring the ark, but they would bring... 30,000 people. Can you imagine why you need 30,000 people to come and pick a four-feet box, right? And their, their logic sounded very smarter than God's. And so instead of using the poles to carry the ark, they put it on a cart. A new mindset, new one. Because they want to be in their own minds. They think the, that carrying this ark on the shoulders of the priest is going to hurt their shoulders. 
And so I'm going to put it on a, a card so they don't need to carry. They lost the reverence for the presence of God. They thought that they didn't want to. It's like the saying that we have it these days. Don't work harder, work smarter, right? So they were trying to work smarter. They didn't want to hurt the shoulders of the Levites. And they didn't want that the, the ark to be just like a fallen. So that's why he was holding with his hand. Usa touched to hold. But the thing is this. It was completely against what God has told them to do. That's what upset God. God is a holy God. He will judge sin. He must, you know, we must know from every act that we do that he is first and foremost a holy God. He's not the power spirit. He's a holy spirit. Yeah, he is powerful. He's not a gift spirit. That's what we think when we read the Corinthians about the gifts of the Spirit, we think that we want all these gifts and we wanted to treat him like a Santa Claus to get our gifts, right? He's not even the Spirit because Satan is a Spirit too. He's an unholy Spirit. But we serve a God who is a Holy Spirit because of the nature of his holiness. We cannot go into his presence with our unholiness. The ark represented the holiness of God. When the Lord gave the instructions to transfer from one place to the other in the desert, it was his holiness that was transferring from, you know, as they traveled, his holiness, his presence was traveling with them. A lot of times, even today, the church, I believe, has lost its reverence for his holiness. I believe very strongly as I look at the churches in America, I don't know whether we forgot that God is, is a God of holiness. I, I sometimes feel when I see these churches spend so much time in creating the props, making movie clips, doing skits, in the middle of the service on Sunday morning, really? And the pastors think that uh, in order for the, the people to get their attention, let me say some jokes. I'm not saying jokes is wrong. I'm not saying the movie clips are bad. I'm not saying the props are bad. I'm just saying those are not a replacement for the Word of God. The Word of God is so powerful. We don't need the the, the tweaking lights and the smokes on the stage for the word to get any power. We don't need to pass the donuts and coffee for people to feel the presence of God. We are trying to carry the ark on an ox back. We are trying to polish the, the, the ark we're trying to add bells and whistles to the word of God. God is a God of holiness. 
And that's what the ark represented. It didn't represent a box. It didn't represent something that we could carry and do things. He is the God of love. He is the God of good. He is the God Almighty. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-merciful. He is forgiving. But beyond that, He is a God of holiness. We cannot leave that holy place of his presence. We cannot truly understand his forgiveness and mercy until we first get the grasp of his holiness. That's what happened to Uzzah. It wasn't a crime that he touched, but God was upset with the fact that these people were doing out of God's instructions. Is he a God of love? Absolutely. He's a God of love, goodness, forgiveness, and mercy. But beyond and before all of that, he is a God of love. And the Ark of the Covenant, the third point, uh, is uh, represents the mercy. So what happened is after this incident where Usa touched and the people died, David was very upset, and he said, okay, I have to go back and rethink. This 30,000 is not working. The people are not working, so he's going back. And then while he went back, he actually told one of the guys that was there, his name is Obed-Edom. Uh, it comes in the same chapter, Second Samuel chapter 6, if you read verses 9 through 11, you will see about this man named Obed-Edom. And David told this man, keep this ark in your house. When we read that verse, what is like a, a so beautiful to watch is that this ark of the covenant, when it stayed in Obed-Edom's house, not only Obed-Edom was blessed, but every one of his family members were blessed. Everything that he touched prospered. The, the presence of the Holy God, when we invite him into our lives, and when we spend time in the holiness, in the presence of his holiness, not only we will be blessed, our children will be blessed, our family will be blessed, our business will be blessed. Our marriage will be blessed. Our, our health will be blessed. Our friends and neighbors will be blessed. Our city will be blessed. Our nation will be blessed. When we spend our time in the presence of the Holy God, He shows mercy upon us. The Ark of the Covenant represents His mercy. That's why that mercy seat is established by God. God says, I am the God of righteousness. I am the God who restores life. When I sit on that mercy seat, I not only see the sins of the people, but I also see the blood of my son poured on that mercy seat. 
the blood that still speaks. Here's how I want to wrap up this morning. When we get to heaven, Revelation chapter 11 verses 19 says, this is what John saw when he was taken into heaven, when he got a glimpse of the heaven. The Bible says in Revelation 11:19, when God's temple in heaven was opened and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, pearls of thunder, an earthquake and severe hailstorm was coming from the middle of that mercy seat. You know what those are? Those are the angels going in and out of his presence. When the Lord of this universe sits on that mercy seat and we cry out to him, he sends his angels from heaven. He answers our prayer with such lightning speed. When John looked at the scene, it looked like a thunder and hailstorm and lightning were coming out of those covenant box that was sitting inside the God's temple in heaven. The angels were carrying his message back and forth so fast. It looked like a thunder and the flashes of lightning and the, and the earthquake was happening from the throne room. Even this morning, my dear brothers and sisters who are listening to this voice, know this for sure, that he is sitting on that very same mercy seat, listening to your voice and my voice raised up into the throne room when all of our prayers were offered before the service this morning. They were already poured into the golden bowl where the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is listening and smelling each and every one of our prayers. Let me close with this thought. Next week, next Sunday, is a Valentine's Day. If there are men that are listening to this voice, know I have given you enough warning that you have seven, eight days to go by. What you need to do for your wife and your loved ones. But here's the thing. When the woman in Anson Correctional heard about this family that lost a father in, in, in Georgia, these 500 women that are serving time in Anson Correctional, here's what the warden of the prison came to me this week to tell that uh, these women in Anson Correctional were asking the warden the work that they do inside the prison, sometimes it doesn't bring a lot of money. Sometimes it's like 11 cents to a maximum of a dollar or two. I don't know what that is, but it is a very small amount of money is what they earn every single time they go to work while they're serving time in prison. And they had asked the warden if they can tithe part of that money to Proverbs 2 to 6. And the warden of this prison called me 
and said, so this is their wish and we want to execute it. And my immediate reaction to that is, no, 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 this is so much, you know, of their heart is just so big, but, you know, I didn't want to take that money because it is the money that they use to buy soap and their necessary stuff while they're serving time in prison. So I was ready to say, no, 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 no. But then God reminded me of the covenant that he made with Abraham. I will bless those who bless you. God is going to bless these women as they start to bless the children of someone that they have no connection with. When you and I step into that realm of like seeing ourselves beyond ourselves, that can only happen when we give importance to the presence of this holy God. His presence traveled with them. That's why the Jordan River split. His presence was in the midst of his children. That's why the walls of Jericho came down. His presence was in their midst only because of that. The children were given the food every single day of their life for 40 years. This morning, as I'm going to wrap up this morning, I'm going to ask you to go back to Exodus chapter 25. I want you to read one more time about this Ark of the Covenant. And I'm also encouraging you to read Joshua chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 6, where it shows how his presence made a difference in the lives of these children. Brother Vince. Thank you, Cyril. Thank you for your message delivered directly from our Lord and Savior. The first thing uh, that really struck me, Cyril, that you said was the condition of our nation is a direct correlation to the temple and the, the condition of the temple and the tabernacle. And that really struck me today and how that is relevant to our nation. Are we taking care of the temple and the tabernacle? How would God view that today? He wants us to come back to the temple because the things that look so hard Hallelujah. will become easy because yes. we're focusing on him. Remind me about Matthew 11 when he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Related right back to his son. His son said that. And it relates back to the Old Testament when things that look so hard will become easy. We were reminded of the three, three things that were in the ark. Aaron's staff, the God of the impossible. We are reminded of the bowl of manna, the God of our provision and strength. Reminded about the Ten Commandments. It is the God of order, the God of a standard the standard for life. It's questioned today in our world if there is absolute truth. That's questioned every day from our society. And God says, I am truth and I am the way. So, I mean, it's a fight we fight every day in our world about the content of our character. Thank you for the reminder of what Pope Francis said and what 
Dr. King said. What's the significance of the Ten Commandments? Why is it a big deal today? Because it is absolute truth and it is a standard. What about the significance of the ark? Why, why do we even read about it? Why are we studying it? Because it's his presence. It was a symbol for the, for the children of Israel. It's not just a box. And he demonstrated that of his holiness and made an example of Yusa. Are we still in awe? I question that. Are we still in awe of his holiness? Are we following his instructions, the Ten Commandments? Or are we following our own reason and logic? We did, the Israelites constantly did what was right in their own eyes. And God made an example. And I think every time they had to learn. Are we following God's wisdom? Or are we following the world's wisdom? What is our culture telling us? Are we listen, well, who are we listening to? Who's our almighty? And the God of mercy. When we spend time with the, with the ark and his presence, we'll, we will be blessed. And lastly, lastly, what was real powerful was when they were crossing the Jordan. And when the feet touched the edge of the Jordan, his presence was with them and the waters stopped flowing. Wow. The miracle of the walls of Jericho, the Goliath of the Red Sea. He had another miracle for the Israelites to say, I am with you. Constant, constant reminders of, of his presence. Praise the Lord. Just remind everybody on Fridays, the prayer, that's where we'll, we'll do most of our prayer, 7 p.m. Please join us for that. And uh, Miss Sarah? Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, we bow before you in humility and ask you to examine our hearts today. Show us anything that is not pleasing to you. Reveal any secret pride, any unconfessed sin and rebellion or unforgiveness that may be hindering our relationship with you. We know that we are your beloved children, having received you into our hearts and lives and having accepted your death as penalty for our sinfulness. The price you paid covers us for all time, and our desire is to live for you. As we take the bread representing your life that was broken for us, we remember and celebrate your faithfulness to us and to all who receive you. Thank you for your extravagant love and unmerited favor. Thank you that your death gave us life, abundant life now and eternal life forever. We receive this bread in remembrance of you. And in the same way, we take the cup, this cup, representing your blood, poured out from a splinted cross. You are the supreme sacrifice for all of our sin, past, present, and future. Today, we remember and celebrate the precious gift of life you gave us through the blood you spilled. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 In the night, the night before Jesus was crucified, 
he pulled his disciples together. He had a dinner with them. He told them that night, there are so many things that we see. One of the longest discourse in the Bible comes out of that last night before he went to the cross. He was talking to a, a small group of people that he believed and trusted to be his friends. That's who we are. And that night he took the cup. He made a new covenant with his blood. As he broke the bread, he said, as often as you eat this bread, right? Today, this is the body which is broken for you and me. And the Bible says, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the elements of bread in remembrance of this mighty God who is holy. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant. In my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take the elements of his blood. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Father, we come before your throne of grace. God, we come before your throne of grace one more time this morning. God, we offer ourselves holy and acceptable to you. Father, God, we pray that we give all our offering all ourselves into your presence, O oh God, this morning. Yes. Let your blood prevail in our lives, Father God. Let your body prevail in our life, Father God. Let your word become alive this week for us. Yes, Lord. God, as we go in and come out, Father God, let your presence go before us, just like how you went before Adam. Obey the Father God. Go before our lives, Father God, and make all the paths go smooth, Father God. Let the rivers of Jordan stop this week. As we walk, Father God, we surrender ourselves, Father God, into your mighty hands. God, you take the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, Father, for your glory. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. May the presence of the Holy God go before you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to your Father. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh,